right, everybody, welcome to Sankirtan On. I'm your host, Katamrita, and today we have the honor of interviewing Shastrakir Prabhu. Shastrakir Prabhu is originally from South India, and uh, the reason why I thought to interview him is because he started his bhakti journey while in New Zealand. So that's where I'm uh, right now, and I'm covering the area for Australasia. So I thought this would be a really inspiring sh story to share with the devotees on the side of the um, ocean. So um, it was really interesting. Shastrakrit Prabhu, um, while studying business in New Zealand, he um, had a friend, a roommate named Krishna. This Krishna introduced him to the loft and his spiritual master, um, His Holiness David Murtiswami Maharaj. And he, he was saying once in, um, in, uh, in a lecture that whenever he used to complain to this friend of his named Krishna, that Krishna would say, you obviously haven't been reading these books that I've been giving you. <laughs> And so he, he thought, I should probably read those books because he keeps saying this to me. I guess fast forward um, 20, 25 years from that point, and now we have the legendary Shastrakrit Prabhu. He's been, um, he first of all went to uh, ISKCON Los Angeles and was doing mass book distribution there for, is it 16 years, Prabhu? Mm -hmm. 16 years and now has settled down has a wonderful family and um, wife and baby girl and he's currently managing um successful outreach center called mantra house um has an ashram called matsya ashram for devotees to go and live and get trained in bhakti yoga and is also the founder of yummy's takeout which is um six fifty oh sorry 6,552 James B. Rivers Memorial Drive, Stone Mountain, Georgia. So if you're ever in oh. Georgia, please drop by to Yummies. And without further ado, I'll pass it over to you, Shastrakrit Prabhu. If you could please just um, yeah, fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed in that 20-year journey and um, also share with us um, what you're sort of currently doing um, in a little more detail. Oh, one thing is where we met in um, Philadelphia. I was there for a year, served LA. And Devamrita Swami is the GBC here for Georgia, for Atlanta. That's one of the reasons we came here and we are humbly assisting him in introducing Srila Prabhupada books to the um, conditioned souls and it's pretty ripe market. People are very happily taking full sets of Srila Prabhupada books. What did you want me to say specifically? Yeah, please continue. You um, can just share a little bit what you're doing now, what your current services involved and yeah, how you got to where you are. Yeah, so we have this cafe where we give books to all our customers, at least a Bhagavad Gita, but some of them will even take a full set of Srimad Bhagavatam. 
and then every Thursday night and uh, <coughs> Sunday morning. So it's like, yeah. uh, here, have a vegan cheeseburger and a Shuman Bhagwatam set. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We have, a, we have a little boutique kind of a shelf set up and then the Bhagwatam set is distributed there, Japa beads and few other books and instances like that. So people are, while well, they're waiting for the their order to get ready, they actually go and look at the books and like that. And just from their body language and their enthusiasm, you know who's actually ripe for a full Bhagavatam set. And surprisingly, so many uh, sets go out, like four sets a week sometimes. Wow. Four sets of Bhagavatam. And we introduce them uh, to chanting and they actually buy the japa beads and like that. And then we invite them to come to our Thursday night events. And if they're coming regularly to the Thursday night, then we invite them to come to the Sunday morning uh, Bhagavatam class. And if somebody is, especially in this crazy real estate market, I guess all over the world, especially in America, people are not even able to afford um, paying rent. Because if you have just some odd job and to pay your rent and gas prices gone up so much and to, you know, to commute and pay rent and put food in the table, people are always broke. So when we give opportunity um, that they can come serve in the cafe where, you know, they get prasadam, they get association and we give them some pocket money and if they're sincere and want to go the distance, then they give them accommodation to stay with us and like that. Yeah. So it's really amazing how many people are interested and this way we have a small dedicated crew uh, we do prasadam distribution like catering for oh, events we have six at the, at this moment maybe another girl also just moved from new york it's interesting this girl moved from new york to get a job here and after the fact she moved drove all the way here in car full of, full of her stuff they told her that jo job is no longer available. Oh. And then she's staying with a friend who's coming to her cafe. And then she came and then she like so attracted to Krishna consciousness. So she comes every day now. So she wants to live with us and practice such a rare soul, actually, black American girl. So like this, um, we are here, we are praying we are open you know we have all the time in the world for people and we're trying to create facility where they can live and serve and like that so um because of the pandemic uh ours you know my spiritual master your spiritual master Deva didn't come last year uh last years but we have about uh 20 people regularly coming to kirtans and stuff they're like locals, mostly black American. So it's really, we're all um, excited when he comes. I'm sure they will feel more inspired. Some of them also want to practice full time like this. 
so it's never ending uh, projects and services and it's super exciting actually that's amazing i can't believe that um you know with all of those different factors weighing down on the economy that the the outreach is flourishing but you can see that it's mm-hmm. because the compassion of the devotees it's your compassion prabhu and the devotees there that is actually allowing it to flourish even though other in other every other industry it's based on selfishness and profit they can't flourish in desperate times mm. like i was listening to a class propad was proudly speaking about that he said we are feeding tens and thousands of devotees even though we don't have a job there's no question of poverty or uh, economic strain for devotees because Prabhupada says that yoga kshemam vahamyam Krishna will provide uh, so much if we promise to use all the resources in his service Prabhupada was so convinced and he was so proudly speaking about that so it's basically Prabhupada's compassion coming through our spiritual master which is humbly trying to do something which is not easy but I think better to do so we might as well try I was listening recently about um, Gurudev he was saying that um, he he got the opportunity to sort of stretch his bhakti muscles in the service when he was uh, a part of that um, massive endeavor in LA to distribute or to publish um the Chaitanya Charitamrita sets and um he was uh in a conversation with Shivaram Swami Maharaj they were discussing that when devotees don't have an opportunity to go beyond their limitations of what they think they can do then they don't know they don't always understand that how the mercy can flow in and more or less miracles can happen So I know that um in your service that you're very in touch with those miracles because you're always sort of going outside of your your you know mental limitations of what you think possible to be able to serve your spiritual master. So I was wondering um how do you develop that faith and uh how do you inspire others? We have so many people who might be able to listen to this and gain that inspiration to be able to serve their spiritual masters in such a mood so i was wondering if you could share that mood and um the the wonderful experiences that come from it yes i mean like krishna kind of gives us the taste in the beginning and then it becomes addictive like vaisheshika prabhu was saying recently in a class he says lord chaitanya is sitting behind a desk with a checkbook and he's the greatest spiritual capitalist capitalist and if you go to him and say i don't have nothing but i have this great idea i want to do this project for you so immediately he'll write you a check <laughs> so similar thing um you know we have nothing but then krishna provides and then when krishna sees that um we are actually using it in his service then he gives more and then more and more and like that i was uh, watching this 
documentary about uh you know the real estate situation in america there's this big person who does like flips homes and stuff so he was mentioning actually it's it's just the first or sec you know first or second home is difficult but then you're on a roll after after that because you have you know the carpenter's name and the plumber's name and you know what works and how much you should spend and that's what the wealthy people also say that the first million dollars is difficult but then it's snowballs so something like that in the beginning um, we have to prove to krishna that you know we are you know we do have a little bit of sincerity and we have this idea we're willing to work hard on his behalf and then you know krishna more i mean in a sense proper says hard to go to krishna but you know i was praying to hila prabhupad and bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur like please give us a little space where we can put all these dreams in action like that so all this started manifesting and you know just going forward like you know the the greatest wealth in this day and age even within our iskon society is the manpower because there we have a big big temples but it's very hard to get manpower so in a little space like this like the what we have set up in stone mountain like a little ashram little cafe little outreach center and so many people are willing to come and volunteer all of a sudden you have like all this army of people so krishna is sending and i was actually in mayapur on the day of bhakti siddhanta saraswati thakur's birthday i was in mayapur i was in his um, house where he used to have meetings with all the leaders I, if i remember correctly i think shila prabhupad got initiated there too mm. so i was sitting there i was wearing yoga pants and you know i was just all the way in the back i was just praying and praying for some mercy and there was a, you know a lot of amazing devotees were visiting a bus full of them they were all in front of me praying to the deity of bhakti siddhanta and like that and the priest he skipped all of them and he walks all the way back to me and throws the garland on my neck and it was a massive garland not like a little garland that we used to this one is i can't even stand up because it's touching the floor and it was so fragrant <laughs> i was actually like very embarrassed and then i gave it to my wife and then my wife was asking like what were you praying i said what do you mean she said in our scriptures it says that whenever you praying the deity answers your prayers or confirms your prayers through a garland so what were you praying like that i was like so embarrassed more than anything i'm like why me you know so the acharyas and krishna are listening to us they're definitely listening to us and they're very proud of us even though they're fallen at least i'm fallen that we are making an humble attempt in a remote place like stone mountain for example this was the headquarters of kkk oh, yes. 
they used to lynch black Americans like five minutes from us, like uh, in this mountain. It's like infamous. So in this place, of all the places, we're not Hindus. Yeah, we're not Hindus, but I'm just saying like, of all, they only know about Christianity here, but then all of a sudden we have Krishna consciousness and they come to take prasadam. You know, they take books, they give donations. So it's like, it's definitely a, a miracle, it's mercy, but all we can do is just pray because we don't have any power to do anything. No money, like, you know, generally speaking, like, you know, no this, no that, but Krishna provides everything if we have the desire and we pray for it and if we're fervently praying, then, uh, you know, we have a goal like every year we want to do something, a, a nice project for Krishna and spiritual master. So Krishna loves that. And then he becomes addicted. Krishna, uh, addictive. Uh, Krishna Chakravarti Thakur calls it haunted by the rasa. When you're, when you're haunted by this rasa of higher taste, it's just like everything else becomes so stale. Life is so ecstatic uh, when you're when you have a vision and you're working hard for it, and then you you get some results. Like it is so ecstatic that uh, everything else is like, what are people doing anyway? Just working hard and paying bills. It's so something like. That. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much for sharing. Um. Yeah, I hope everybody really hung on to every word of that because, um, yeah, we can all uh, do more for Krishna. And I was listening to um, Bajrasen Prabhu. He was giving a, a workshop in Otaki recently at one of our retreats. He was saying that um, sometimes um, we put down dreaming, you know, as devotees, we could say, Oh, you know, we don't want to start dreaming anymore. And we don't want to be dreamers. We want to be living in reality. But he was saying, but we can actually dream for Krishna. We can have visions for Krishna as service. Um, so he was encouraging us to have these visions. And yeah, from what you were just saying, Prabhu, about yeah, how you have vision and then how you pray for these visions and um, to be fulfilled. And that that when you're doing it, that when Krishna sees that it's sincere and that you're actually using those resources for his um, pleasure, that he feels so enlivened by that. He just makes it expand more and more and more. Um, so I guess um, just as a follow-up question to that, um, how do we make sure when our visions are starting to become fulfilled or are being fulfilled that we don't fall into the traps of, um, you know, thinking ourselves very great or feeling like, oh, now um, I can take some position or um, now, I, now I deserve some prestige <laughs> for what all that I'm doing. How do we not fall into those traps when we feel like Krishna is actually responding and reciprocating it with us? And at the same time, uh, we want to yeah remember that we're always his fallen, humble servants. <laughs> mm. That's a good point. I mean... In, in a sense, uh, when we are running this kind of an outreach or a, a contemporary outreach or preaching center, um, cafe and reaching out to people, in a sense, 
reaching out to the locals and doing all this is actually hard work. It's not really like a, a, a temple situation where like, you know, you're the TP and then you have the vice president and then you have a commander and you, you know, you get to attend meetings and you're wearing silk clothes and <laughs> this and that. But here it's a very it's humbling really action. Because mm -hmm. on a Thursday night, for example, uh, you know, I cook for the event, I give class, I lead the kirtan, and then I answer questions, and then I run um, back to the cafe to serve a prasadam to make sure, uh, and then make sure everybody got enough, and then try to distribute a book or teach them how to chant, and then uh, go to do the dishes. Yeah. And then the next morning I have to cook and it's like, you know, like there's so much repair work going on in our different buildings and I have a baby and, you know, wife and like personal chanting and frail health. And it's like, it's, it's actually like uh, basically hard work. It's a lot of sacrifice. But uh, Krishna fills the heart with happiness because we're doing it on behalf of his pure devotee to please his pure devotee. And recently I was talking to Deva Maharaj, our spiritual master in Mayapur. Um, he was mentioning how that we have to beg Krishna. Like he was saying to us, like, go in front of Panchatato and beg them that you will deal with devotees carefully because that's an art, that's not a material thing. And he was saying the same thing about chanting. He said, beg the Panchatattva that, you know, that we can chant real Nama, real names, not like mumbling some round. And he was saying the same thing about book distribution. He said, these are not just ink on paper. This is by distributing these books, you, you're going to, you know, conquer Krishna. So it's not a cheap service. So you've got to beg to him that you can do it all life. And he, anything I was asking, he was over and over. He was saying, you've got to go and beg to the deities. You have to really beg. Like if you think about the word beg or beggar, like I was one time, I was stranded in Mathura train station. I was supposed to go to Bombay, but the train was 12 hours late. Mm. And there were these little girls and they were, they wanted something from me, my watch and some money, but I didn't give them anything. But they had all the time in the world. So they basically was with me for five hours. <laughs> so I finally, I just gave it to them, like whatever they want. I'm like, they really conquered me. Like, you know, if somebody is going to be like so serious and, in, you know, the relentless. So, so I was just always remember that example, like if we are, you know, begging Krishna, meaning like we're not going to let him go on unless, you know, he... He gives it to us, all these uh, devotional services. So I was thinking the same thing um, regarding your question, that we have to beg Krishna that we don't forget what all this is all about. Like we, we're not in this for our 
you know, name, fame, and all these things. We are purely doing this, uh, you know, as a service because it is an austerity. And if we if we deviate, then it's a great loss. So many people are getting mercy and will get mercy, but if we get sidetracked, it's a big loss. Um, you know, we we will not have that opportunity to serve. And it is a short life. I saw how my mother left. My mother was talking to my baby on a video call, 9.30 p.m. And the next morning, I woke up and I turned on the phone and there were so many missed calls from India, like about 30 missed calls. Mm. It, was, it was really strange. So when I called one of them back, they said, oh, your, I, your mother left. I was like, wow. I mean, we hear this all the time, but then when I was there in her funeral, in her house and all her belongings, she had many generations of stuff. Like she had like hundreds of years old, like brass and copper and silver and deities and shaligram. And, but she basically just checked out one, one night. So we have to keep in mind, it's just a, a short life you're serious and sincere and without ulterior motives we will be so blessed and whoever comes across us they can also also share the blessings and fortune so yeah that's a very good question uh, i mean being a humble devotee not surprised you ask this question it, it, it is uh, a danger and we have to always be conscious and have good association and sadhana. Um, thank you, Prabhu. I was wondering if I could ask you a bit about um, mass book distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've heard that you are doing mass book distribution in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. uh, my first question is, what's the difference between book distribution and mass book distribution? Is it in term? is it like still street Sankirtan or is it a completely different approach to Sankirtan? Yeah, I mean, LA is a very sp special temple. It, it had the BBT warehouse there. So you can imagine I'm, I'm in a temple where the warehouse of, you know, BBT is there and we, that's where all the books gets sent to and distributed so it's like you know it's just like that was one of my favorite things about la temple was it was unlimited books when gurmar sent me from wellington mahavan ashram to los angeles i was just amazed because you know i would do like three self-realizations on the streets in wellington and then it, i started doing 300 books a day so LA Temple, in a sense, it's um, it, the temple president is very Krishna conscious and he's very Prabhupada conscious and he loves book distribution and he would go any extent to make sure we have enough books to distribute. And he Prabhu, uh, Sawas Prabhu was also very competitive, like he wanted us to beat all the other temple. <laughs> so that temple was very special and a lot of opportunity to 
distribute books, Bhagavatam sets, Chaitanya Charitamrita sets. Every day I would I would distribute Bhagavatam set. Every day. CC set, Chaitanya Charitamrita set. So that was very special. Uh, and also airport was an amazing place. There was international airport with seven massive terminals. And we had like a van army of devotees who would go out and they would even send us lunches. Somebody would take order of what we want to eat. They'll bring us like sandwiches and sodas and paneer and you know, we were like spoiled. So that temple was special. We had a lot of opportunity to uh, distribute books um, like mass mass distribution of books and then you know when when the airport closed down then we had to come up with uh, the temple president and senior devotees they came up with uh, different ideas how to still keep the number of books uh, distributed so the you know when the pandemic happened you know ISV devotees and many other devotees um, uh, they, you know, they came up with ideas how to sell sets of books over the phone and put books in motels and, you know, so many uh, creative ways devotees are distributing, uh, mass distributing books like uh, we have a um, nice Brahmachari ashram here in Atlanta where they call themselves a Krishna life. The Bhaktivikas Maharaj's devotee disciples, uh, wonderful brahmacharis, they do like thousand books a day. But when it's not a marathon. <laughs> just so they, they, just like on a regular day, yeah. And Vaishishika Prabhu's uh, under his able guidance and management, Iskon of Silicon Valley does huge, in New Dwaraka does huge. And there are many other um, temples around the world there, you know, depending on the management, they, they do like mass distribution. But I guess the difference between mass distribution, regular distribution is, you know, devotees, like, for example, I go out every day. I have a spot where I go to, I order books and I have a little book room. And, you know, I have a little goal in mind, like last year, just to our customers, we gave out like, uh, you know, thousands of Bhagavad Gita's and I distributed just from my humble attempts, like hundred Bhagavatam sets, something like that. And there might be devotees that are, you know, have jobs, full-time jobs and family and children responsibility where they go out and give them to their colleagues or you know they ship books or they go out on the weekends to do harinam and give out books so you know and then you also have small temples where like they're struggling for manpower but there may be one or two devotees they go out to distribute books and do some harinam like that so uh, main thing is if the management is inspired, one of the first things it shows is that the, the amount of books they have 
unfortunately many of our temples don't have a book room or you know books to give them to people like that mm. but uh, inspired temple has a you know so you have large temple medium temple small temple congregation so everybody is collectively doing something wonderful mm-hmm. more and more so your main point is that if you want to do mass book distribution then you have to have a mass stock of books <laughs> yes mass books and and also uh, you know the the if the management gives encouragement and facility and the new devotees when they come they plug into that mode just like when how we were trained mm-hmm. as soon as they came to krishna consciousness everybody was going out on book distribution everybody and then i naturally felt like oh this is what you do the new people come they pick up the mood of whatever is existing mm-hmm. so the management have books and they encourage devotees to go out and then we will have something to manage otherwise what are we managing if we don't go out and bring people to krishna consciousness it becomes a burden the management becomes dry and um i guess one thought that i had was if you're doing you know i've heard that one marathon you did was it like 20,000 books does that ring a bell for you yeah i did 10,000 gitas one time so like for instance um when you distribute like that many books in like a month or something um do you have any strategy for sort of trying to maintain personal contact with the people who get the books is it that you have you know flyers inside the books or are they stamped or how do you usually do that yeah i mean marathon time is very special where like our main focus is the numbers yeah, you know but have we always left everybody with an invitation card and where they can where they can uh, meet us so pretty much uh, we will have a, gr- a crew of us preparing the books loading the books and because that's like uh, 300 bhagavad gita a day so we're all armed with <laughs> you know books and we go out and like that you know 10 hours 12 hours a day to to distribute yes we did give everybody a flyer to come to the temple and gift shop and cafe like that. Mm. and uh, nowadays nowadays i stamp the books because i'm not, i'm not that busy so you know when i'm in book table i i have a stamp with my name my website uh, phone number email everything so I, i put the stamp on the book before i give it to the people yeah i really i think i remember you doing that in um philadelphia and i always kept it in mind afterwards because in the back of the bhagavad gita there's the centers for temples all around the world um but uh, i think that a lot of people probably wouldn't notice that section of the book or even if they did if they read through it um and found a temple maybe in their area they might not you know feel so comfortable going there alone but i was always remembering that you would do that because um 
then at least, you know, they could think, oh yeah, that person was really nice. I met them. I can just text them or I'll call them and, um, see, you know, uh, if they would go with me or if there's like a more of like a yoga studio sort of outreach center, um, that's a lot more approachable for a lot of people. And also just, um, I remember when we would go out on books, I remember uh, hearing uh, you and like other devotees in Philadelphia saying people, you know, if you have any questions about this book, it's like, reach out to me, we can discuss it. So I always remember that. Um, So I wanted to ask you a bit about, um, yeah, just, I guess, once people get books and, you know, if they reach out to you in such a way, like, or if they do contact you from, um, an exchange, um, how do you, uh, is it very individualized your response to people or do you have a general sort of flow, you know, like, okay, I meet them at this stage and then I try to get them to come to this class or that class. And so how do they kind of go through, um, your community and engage and how do you sort of chart their progress and gauge, you know, where they could go to next and how to keep them involved. And do you also have any strategy awesome. for, for keeping track of everybody? Because, um, I know we have a lot of outreach going on, but, um, we struggle with keeping track of all these different contacts. Yeah. So I, I, when I meet, when I, when I meet somebody really special, um, I try to, what I'm noticing more and more is, um, when you engage them in service, that kind of deepens our relationship. That's also like kind of screening to see how sincere somebody is. And like this girl I mentioned to you, uh, from New York. So I just invited her to, you know, come and help. And then she she says, oh, I'm not much of a cook. And then she says, uh, but I'm really good at cleaning. So I said, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's, we definitely need help with that. So she's been coming and cleaning. And then, you know, she's a very humble, shy, quiet person. So, you know, in generally, I would have never known what she's like. But then, you know, through service and coming along like this, you get to know them more and then you feel like reciprocating more. You make want to make them some prasadam. And, you know, then through doing service, they open up to ask questions, even, you know, even though she's not like very philosophical. Like that. And then I met this other uh, person on books, wealthy Indian business owner, can't remember, he gave me like 300 or $400 for a book. So I was like, okay. So these are all like signs. Uh, of course, you know, we are open to cultivating anyone, but some people show like clear signs of, you know, being ready or ripe or they're really nice people. Mm-hmm. You know, so this man gave a donation. So I, I said, do you mind if I take your uh, phone number. Uh, first he gave me his business card and then he came back and said, actually that, uh, you know, I'll never get that messages cause it all goes to my secretary and like that. He said, take my cell phone number. And then he took 
I took his cell phone number and then they needed the parking lot repaired in our mantra house with the gasoline prices and everything was outrageous. So I reached out to him and said, hey, uh, in Stone Mountain of all places, we're creating some kind of a Krishna uh, ashram. Can you help? And like that, he, he was like glad to help. So, and then, you know, I reach out to him and then he comes and I give him prasadam and then he gives donation. So, the main thing is, we, we uh, uh, we are like starting something here, so we need a lot of help. So, I'm kind of going for the people that are willing to help. The other day, one customer took a Bhagavatam set. Uh, and then the next day he came, I saw one ladder on his truck. I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm a painter. I said, do you mind helping us? He said, I would love to help you guys. So we have an appointment for him to come and paint our ashram. Yeah. So, you know, when they come, it's no longer just like, oh, theory. Okay, this book says you got to do some seva. Not like that, you know. Hey, I, I guess I learned that from you, Kathamrita, to oh, yeah, bring people right. Engage them because you're like the pro. So you know when he comes to paint, we make him a a massive burger, and you know our friendship is getting established like this. At least I have like twenty, thirty people that I'm working with. We're like friends. There is this Christian minister or missionary. We ran into him like it's an interesting story. How? And he's so handy. He's like, he's amazing. But he's like a born again, senior Christian man. And we're, religiously speaking, we're like, don't even talk about it. Because, you know, he is so amazing. But he's a Christian. But then he's he thinks like, you know, we're amazing. But then we have this crazy religion that we're following. But he helps us so much. He loves lassi, he loves paneer burgers. And, you know, we we're like close friends. He brought his grandson to show us and he brought so many toys for Danya, my daughter, to play with. So it's like he does so much service. He's not even a devotee. I mean, not a devotee, Hare Krishna devotee, but, but we engage him in service. So that's what I'm noticing nowadays. You see any signs of some people willing to help? Immediately we lock their number in and then we, we give them service and then we give prasadam, books, chanting, and then they become like more like a family. All the great devotees did like that. Mm. Uh, that's where we are learning from like Jayananda and so many others. They, they were working so hard for Krishna. They didn't really have time to like sit down and preach, but hey, come on hammered this nail in the meantime though they're nailing the chariot they'll tell him about Krishna so my wife is also cultivating quite a few girls and teaching them how to bake and decorate so that's how uh, we've been cultivating and then there's one nice god brother living with us Nitai uh, from also from Philadelphia and anybody wants to come and read and chant and like that, I give them to him because he's really sincere and he's doing that a lot. So mm. he reads and chants with them and he's also very friendly and humble. So 
so it's all about like you know finding a place for this individuals that are coming along prayer and thinking about the meditating on them and like that um if we have the, if we really want to help somebody we we will find a way to do that um so i feel like you covered off a few of the things i was going to ask you in that response i was going to ask um sort of who is an ideal candidate for like living in an ashram or you know it, you know paying more attention to them and it sounds like you are really looking for the people who are really sincerely willing to do some service and um mm-hmm. it shows their sincerity because they're willing to put in some hard work and effort and um it shows the heart is pure right um mm-hmm. so um i guess my next question is um you have a lot of uh devotees living in an ashram and uh um i was wondering and i know you've lived in an ashram for a, a very long time as well um and yet now you're running one <laughs> so knowing that transition and how it can be difficult um for a lot of devotees they sometimes will live in an ashram for a number of years and then transitioning out will be hard for them and it's hard to get settled again in your bhakti so have do you know any sort of telltale signs for when you know somebody who might be taking mentorship from you might be ready to sort of graduate from the ashram or they're ready to sort of move on and how do you help them to do that like how do you help them to sort of make that transition i'm not sure if you've um come across this this um in your service yet but something i thought to get your guidance yes on. uh i mean it shows um how inspired devotees are in their uh, sadhana and service and their attitude if somebody is not inspired and they kind of not happy <laughs> um then it's that's a good sign that you know there has to be some changes one devotee told me when i was a brahmachari that if a brahmachari is asking the question should i be a brahmachari or not immediately he is no longer a brahmachari so as he asked that question so like that ashram life is a it's basically a training period we let people know that you know it's not like you have to be here forever but while you're here take it seriously and learn something don't behave like you already know everything and don't preach to senior devotees and you know it's time to learn it's not forever you know and also if we are their genuine friends like i, I know like when i was you know in the ashram and stuff there was actually pressure like oh you know i have to be a brahmachari and things like that so we were kind of scared of of the authorities uh, but at least in a you know informal setting like we have here we you know we make it easy for the devotees to reveal their mind without expecting too much and putting too much pressure on them where they will open up and explain to us what's going on in their life when, then we can actually advise them and send them to a better place or they may have to get married or 
they have to move into a brahmachari ashram or every individual is different but if you know if they tell us what's actually going on and they will tell us what's going on if we are actually their friend and we don't judge them and backstab them and like that then people trust us and open up and then it'll be easy to uh help um and you have a lot of uh devotees who um are new to krishna consciousness coming into your ashram and um i think that what what you were saying before with the management being inspiring that that naturally inspires people to come along and start to engage in the activities that are predominating like book distribution or whatever sort of is giving that intense flavor to the ashram or to the outreach um but kind of similar to you know if somebody um maybe in a situation where they have that fear of the management that you were just speaking about how you know if i don't do this service and maybe i get you know i'm getting in trouble if i if i don't stay in this stage of life then maybe i'm getting in trouble there might be devotees experiencing that so um i guess we we're trying on this program to really inspire devotees to distribute books but um what would your advice be to somebody who might not want to <laughs> without judging them or without you know putting pressure on them but yeah what would your advice be i mean it's it's an army it's an army sankirtan army so if they're assisting um the book distributors and through mercy actually to distribute books means we have we have to have the mercy to be able to do that is not a mundane activity so by pleasing the heart of the book distributors that's a good way to start like we have a really nice girl um uh, living with us and helping us in the cafe and she met uh one devotee uh and then he went this really nice devotee ram and then he brought her to us and said like oh she wants to join like him like but she seemed so sincere like she kind of moved in with us the next day and she's been there for a year now but she's very like um humble and very shy person but she does the cash register so we stacked books for her and said like you know distribute give them to the customers and gently ask them for a donation like that so without that pressure and all this um thing that we experience usually when we got in book distribution she's doing a lot of books yeah. she does more books than me <laughs> all day long she's giving like people stack of books and the reciprocate they give donation she has a, a jar saying book donation she has a sign spiritual books on yoga meditation so all day long she's uh having the opportunity to give books but that's a situation where we figured it out for her where she can also be part and feel enlivened because in the beginning she was struggling because she was like okay i don't go out on book distribution and um 
first of all, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable going out and meeting people. But at the same time, I really want to go out and book distribution. So I really feel bad. And I'm going to be doing a cash register, uh, which means I'm not going on book distribution. So she was like uh, fighting all these things within herself. So he said, hey, it's not either or, you can do both. You have all these books next to you and you distribute all day at the same time you take orders. What's the problem? So we can facilitate like that um, to our devotees. Everybody can distribute. But we just have to make it easy for them and take away that stereotype of, you know, you're like a macho superhero every day giving 600 books or nothing. <laughs> it's like everybody can participate and through mercy they, they, they will grow if the Krishna will give them a taste. And uh, how do you know if someone has more potential and um, how do you help them unlock that potential? So like I'm, I can say for myself, um, I think that sometimes I've been in a situation in service and, you know, I'm doing my service. I can, I'm doing it, you know, day to day or whatever. And, um, but I think that there's more I could do. I, um, but I don't know how um, willing I'd be to be able to tell the management, oh, by the way, I think actually you could squeeze a lot more out of me. <laughs> so for somebody who is in a management position who might be able to sense that in somebody that they're actually doing like, you know, just comfortable, like just the amount that like makes them feel not really pushing themselves too hard. But you actually think that person has a lot more capability who seems to like kind of inspire them. Um, how do you, yeah, how do you try to help others in such a situation to unlock that potential even if they feel like you know i'm kind of i kind of like just coasting i kind of like just you know being comfortable to mm -hmm. yeah uh, actually what happens what i notice is sometimes is the false ego of the manager uh, and the person that's under us that we're trying to train uh, if we don't have the right mood and right compassion and intention, it kind of uh, doesn't work out. Like I've had experience where like there are people under me, but then I expect them to be like fully Krishna conscious or they were uh, giving a lot and doing a lot at one stage and the next year they kind of went to Maya then like I'm kind of expecting them to come back up and worship my feet and something like that. But I had to pray and meditate and give up my ego and be their friend and talk to them and, and remind them and encourage them to give more. So I don't say anything and they, they don't come that much. And then I'm thinking like this person is in Maya, this person is in Maya. So that doesn't work. Because they're actually in Maya and they're just going away and away. And my ego is preventing from reaching them up. But what I noticed is we have to have a grateful heart and be their friend and put aside our position and talk to them. And if it's all boils down to our, you know, people are not stupid. They know how judgmental we are, how egotistical we are. 
But if they say this guy is my friend, even when he asks, where were you last night, you know? He means well, so if they feel that they'll open up, then we can encourage them. It's all about relationship. Mm. If the authorities don't have sweet relationship with their subordinates, her compassion, it, it's just uh, this younger one is acting out of ego, the older one is out of acting out of ego. Then we can't really encourage someone unless you really like them and love them. It's not artificial, it's actually, you know, you're trying to be their guru when you're, when you're not initiating guru, but... <laughs> You know, but we have to have the right mood and give them the benefit of doubt, forgiving, you know, go out of your way and not hold grudges. And it's like so many things. And then somebody, uh, you know, feels when we speak, it goes to their heart. It's not like they think, yeah, right, you know, you're saying this, but, you know, I know what you're thinking. In other words, we have to walk the talk and really yeah, be there be their well-wisher they have to feel that and we have to pray to Krishna that we, we genuinely develop that mm, that's a really incredible way of understanding it I wasn't thinking that it had anything to do with um, ego but when you break it down in that way you can see how how much our false ego gets in the way either of our taking advantage of service and being able to fully give our hearts to it or inspire others to do the same it yeah it's there's this one time i was out on book distribution and i had a, a whole bag of books and i was actually going home i had already i had already like finished and i was going back and i had all these books left and i was thinking the only reason why these are still with me is because of my false ego. Because if my false ego wasn't with me, I would have begged people to take them. But I'm mm. too proud to beg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were saying that out of humility, but that's actually true that um, unless we are um, exemplary and humble, we will not be used as an instrument. Uh, so we're almost at the end of our um, discussion, but I was wondering if I could do rapid fire questions now. Mm -hmm. um, for everyone listening, I have not prepared for these responses. Um, what's one word that comes to your mind when you hear Prabhupada? Um, selfless sacrifice. What is one word when you hear the word Sankirtan? The one word Sankirtan? When you hear the word Sankirtan, what word comes to the, your mind? Uh, easy process. <laughs> um, what is your favorite prasadam? Favorite prasadam is paneer sabji. Are you selling this paneer sabji at uh, Yummies? No, we are vegan uh, cafe, but... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the best instruction you ever got? Um, to beg 
Father Mercy. And if you were the king of the world and you had all the resources and all the power, um, how would you utilize them in Krishna's service? <laughs> Mass distribution of <laughs> Prabhupada books. Prabhupada said if you print books in as many languages as possible, distribute them as many as possible, he said Krishna consciousness will automatically spread. Right. So, so we have the... Please continue. If we had the facility, I mean, we, we already have plenty of facility, even though we're not kings, the parampara is providing, so... Yeah, that would be amazing if the leaders can do that. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to offer my humble obeisances onto Lotus Feet Prabhu. Thank you so much for allowing me to um, engage in this service um, and take your interview. And I really pray um, that all the devotees who get to listen to this podcast um, get your blessings. Um, and take some of the instructions that you've been very mercifully bestowing upon us uh, to expand the Sankirtan movement. And uh, please, Srila Prabhupada, please, our spiritual masters, please, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Thank you. I, I beg the blessings of all the devotees that will hear this and keep us in your prayers and forgive. Me for if I said anything out of place or out of etiquette, and I really thank you and uh, whoever you're representing BBT for allowing me to say something of value, and I feel inspired to follow whatever I just said <laughs> more and more. Hare Krishna. Thank you again for listening to Sankirtan On. Please feel free to subscribe and share with your friends for regular updates and inspirational stories on how, by giving, we grow. Thank you for sharing this time with us. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.